0: Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. There I was standing with the rest of my class. It was um, the end of a school day, but it was not an ordinary school day because in that moment there was a news station camera looking in our faces. I was decked out. It was my dream that had just came true. Because I just had the scalpel in my hand cutting on the jello-filled, cheesecloth-covered patient We did an appendectomy, and I was the lead surgeon, and News Channel 9 was filming. Afterwards, they asked, why are you doing this? And I stated to them, it is my dream to be a surgeon. That's what I wanted to be, and that's what I was seeking to do. Well, I'm standing in front of you, so something changed. And every single possible patient is so thankful. I don't know how I could have done it. The Lord definitely knows that I could not have done it. I hate the sight of blood unless it's mine and I can deal with it. But there I was that day. Scrubs, mask, hat, gloves, warning that to come about. What is your dream? What's your dream? Maybe it was a childhood dream. Maybe, maybe it's a dream that was in your childhood and it is coming to fruition. What's the goal that you have for your life? This morning, I I want to direct our attention to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have a copy of God's Word there in your lap, whether digital or actual pages, find your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing to these believers in Thessalonica, and he is coming almost to the end of the letter. He's got one more chapter in this letter and a whole nother letter coming in 2 Thessalonians, but as he turns from chapter 3 to chapter 4, he adds a number of application points for the church at Thessalonica. And I want us to pick up in chapter 4. I know we haven't looked at chapters 1 through 3, but I want us to pick up in chapter 4 as we look at this subject. One body, speaking of the church, one body sanctified. One body sanctified. Listen to what Paul writes to these believers. I'm going to read down through verse 12, and uh, we'll spend our time this morning in these verses. Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Verse 8. Therefore... Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Heavenly Father, thank you for the passage that is in front of us this morning. Father, thank you for what you did in and through Paul as he wrote, as he went. Father, as we will see in just a moment, as he spent his life sharing you to the church, to the world. God, may we be about the task that you have called us to. May our dreams, our goals... Come in alignment with the goal, the dream that you have for each one of us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I started this morning by asking you about, or telling you about a dream of mine or a goal of mine of life and asking what yours might be for you to, to be thinking about that. Which leads to this first point this morning. The major goal of life. The major goal of life. Your life. Anybody's life. The major goal of life is to please God. Paul makes this point clear for those in Thessalonica as well as for any reader to see As he or she reads, and for us to understand, look there in those first two verses again and see if you see those blatant, bold words about the goal of life. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will. Verse 3 goes on and states, for this is God's will. Your sanctification. Paul wants and makes that point clear. You may have a dream as a young child, to do this or that, to have this livelihood, to live in this place, or to go to that place. But the major dream, the major goal that overcomes all those smaller dreams is what Paul writes to this, to this church, to these individuals, for you and me as well some 2,000 years later. If you want to please God, the one who created you, the one who gives you air to expand your lungs and to contract your lungs so that you might live another four seconds and again and again and again, the major goal of life is to please Him. Great preacher. In the 300s over into the 400s, I believe, is a man by the name of John Chrysostom. And John Chrysostom wrote a sermon. I I read it this week as I was um, preparing for this. And in his sermon, looking at these two verses, he said this. He said, you know, Paul, I'm going to say it with a uh, Mississippi um, dialect, not a Middle Eastern dialect, and I'm going to take out all the these and thous that it was translated into English for. You know, Paul, Paul didn't bring up a matter, and in doing so, him just kind of brushing over that, it drew their attention, those at Thessalonica, it drew their attention and it challenged them for a better life. That in doing so, he got them to react quicker than he would have if he would have chided them in the actual position. You're like, Brian, what is John Chrysostom speaking of? Paul did not bring up that, hey, there were some issues in their dreams, in their goals of life in these verses. He's going to bring it up in just a few moments at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 because these believers had forgotten that they were supposed to be working until the day Jesus comes or they were to be working until the day they go and meet Jesus at the end of their life. They had thought, hey, we missed it, so therefore we're just going to kind of go out on the hillside and look up to the sky to make sure we don't miss His coming. And Paul reminds them by not chiding them. Hey, here's your goal. Here here are the things that you are doing good at. Let me remind you of that so that we can move forward in our lives as parents. Maybe you find yourself, sir, ma'am, doing that with your kids. As a spouse... Ladies, maybe you find yourself doing that or trying to do that with a husband. Maybe he won't listen to this sermon. Sometimes he does. But growing up, when it was work day at the house and my dad said it's time to go to work and he would set out to do something and it would not work the first time and I would try to bring up an option, it did not go over very well because I came up with that idea. And therefore, if little Brian came up with that idea, it's not the right idea. And oftentimes it wasn't. I do admit that. But here's what I learned. If I could get him to think that he came up with that idea, we'd try it. And sometimes it would work. Paul is trying to get them to understand this idea. Hey, the manner of which you and I live, the manner that we walk He's urging them along in the Christian faith, in the Christian walk. Why? Because he knows their main goal is to please God. He understands if they want a prosperous life, if they want to advance spiritually, then if they would just please God, and do those things that He is calling them to do, their life would be so much better. So I ask you again this morning, what's your goal in life? What are you focused on? Are you focused on family? Good. Not great. Good. Are you focused on a job, on your career, setting yourself... In education, so that you can get there? Okay. Not great. Are you focused on pleasure? Are you focused on leisure? Are you focused on people and how they look at you and how they react and allow you to be a part of the gang, so to speak? Reminded of what Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes over and over and over and over again. Throughout those chapters, those 12 chapters, he would focus on one of those areas. He'd focus on pleasure. He said, I gave myself to it. And then listed how he gave himself to it. I gave myself to my job. Gave myself to family. Gave myself to pleasure, to leisure, to comedy. Then he would always end those parts of the book. And that is like chasing after the wind. Vanity of vanities. God and pleasing Him, church, is the major goal in life. How are you doing with that? How, how are you... In your week, in your hours, in your days that He gives you. How are you doing with that? There are some guardrails that He gives. And you and I need to see those guardrails in these verses so you and I can know how we're doing with those things. Because bringing pleasure to Him, pleasing Him, is laid out for us in these next few verses because... He speaks of sanctification as a positive guardrail and a negative guardrail as don't get close to sexual impurity or immorality. He speaks of controlling yourself in honor, not in lustful lustful passions. He speaks of brotherly love and not being transgressors. All of these are guardrails so you and I know where we stand in the goal. So let's keep going and let's flesh out these different items. Second point, not only do we see that the major goal in life is pleasing God, but there in verses three through eight, we see that the will of God is spelled out clearly for all of us to see. Have you ever asked this question? Father, just what do you want me to do? What do you want? If you would just make it clear, I promise you, if I just knew what God, God, if I just knew what you wanted, I would do it. Every single one of us, I would say, in the room have asked a question similar to that. In these verses, he does just that, he lays it out. If you want to know what the will of God is, here is what it is. Look there in verse 3. I don't know how more clear it could be. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God for Brian. This is the will of God for you, sir. This is the will of God for you, ma'am. This is the will of God for you, students, adults. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Brian, that's a uh, 25-cent theological term. What does it mean? Your salvation. God's will for you. God's will for you is that you would be saved. Period. The word is sanctification. That that is an aspect of salvation. There are three aspects of salvation in all of Scripture. The first is justification. Justification. Justification is a point action. There was a moment in my life when I was not saved and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and in that moment, I was justified. God looked at me differently, not because of what I had done, but all because of Him. He looked at me differently because He looked at me through the blood of Jesus. I was justified. There will be a moment out in the future. It might happen today. It might happen, I'm 46. It it might happen 80 years from now. I'll be old if that happens. Or it may happen any moment in between that when he comes back, if I'm still alive. But in that moment, I will be glorified. There will be a changing of this body into a glorified state that's out in the future. So there's a point action that has happened in my life. There's a point action for those of us who are in Christ that has happened. And there's a future moment where we will be just like Him, glorified. In between that, there is this term, sanctification. Sanctified. It is the aspect of salvation that is growing, that is moving. That you and I are living out as we grow closer and closer to Him. For those in the room that aren't saved. And I know that in a room this size there are those present. For those that aren't saved, God's will for you is that you would be saved. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants every single one of you to believe in Him. That is His will. And He shows you Himself every single day. He allows you to breathe. He allows you to get up. He allows you to see the sunrise, the sunset. He allows you to see all of these things where He is working in and out and around and through those you come in contact with. All for you, sir, ma'am, student, all for you to know Him. And for those of us in the room that are saved, that have accepted Him as Savior and Lord, His will for you is the same, that you and I would grow closer and closer to Him. God knows that you are not going to be perfect. You know why He knows that? He created you. You also know why he knows that? Because he is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the truth about everything. I have stated this over and over and over again to you. It is as if when you and I go to the uh, Hernando Christmas parade, we stand in front of one spot in the road, and we see whatever comes in front of us one at a time, whether it's a band or it is a float A great float, a terrible float, a great band, a motorcycle rider, whatever it is, we see it. And we might see the one in front and the one behind. But if there are 167 floats coming through, there's no way for us in that one moment to see all of it. We see it one after another after another. That's not how God sees life. Life. He is overlooking the whole thing all at the same time. He sees the end of it as well as the beginning. And every float, every band, every person that is around, He sees it all at the same time. He's omniscient. And this God, the one who knows you, the one who desires that you would know Him and that you would be saved, knows you're not going to be perfect. He doesn't call you to be perfect. He calls you and He calls me to something else. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter writes these words, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy. You be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, Brian, what does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart for His purpose. He has a plan for you. He has a a direction that He wants you to go. He has things that He wants you to say. He has things that He wants you to do. He has places that He wants you to be. And He has called you and He has called me to be His. Be holy. So students at the schoolhouse this week, you are to be holy. Sir, at the job site, you are to be holy. Ladies, in the workplace, you are to be holy. Everyone at the house, at the home, you and I are to be holy. Sanctification is the desire. He doesn't have that desire without giving you the means to bring it about. Quickly, let's look at verses 4 through 8 and let's see these Descriptions of how you can live that out. That each one of you, your sanctification is there, that you abstain, verse 3, from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. You know how to do that in holiness. You know how to do that in honor. Verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, God has not called you for impurity, but He has called you in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, they disregard not man, but God and who gives His Holy Spirit to you. You've been given a gift. I've been given a gift. That gift is the Holy Spirit. And that gift dwells in you so that you are no longer chained to sexual impurity. You're no longer chained. No longer dominated by the things of this world. You can control your own body. Why? Because the Spirit of the living God lives in you. You no longer are pictured as one of dishonor, but you have honor because God has put His Spirit in you. You're no longer have to be driven by the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who don't know God because you do know God. I've warned you about this beforehand, Paul writes. God hasn't called you to impurity, but He has called you to holiness to be set apart for Him. He has given us everything, everyone to see this desire, desire for you to be sanctified. So my question to you, as we see this point, you're walking around in life. You're going 70, 80 miles an hour. You're going from Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Thursday. Saturday, which guardrail are you up against? Are you up against the positive side over here that's saying, hey, control your body. Don't, don't walk around in those passions and those lusts. Don't walk around in the leisure that's over here. Which, which guardrail are you up against today, sir? Where's the focus that is in your life to be in your life? For God has given us this great gift of His Spirit in you for sanctification. Third and final point this morning. Third and final point this morning is this, that encouragement is needed and to be given by all. It is needed by all and it is to be given by all. Let me read verses 9 through 12 and see if you can see the encouragement that Paul gives those at Thessalonica. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Macedonia was a whole region, not, not just the the city of Thessalonica but but the whole region around everybody knew that those in Thessalonica they loved each other and they loved the brothers throughout all uh, throughout all Macedonia but we urge you Paul says we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Oftentimes, I sit in a a group of people, I sit in a group of pastors, and I try to be funny. And one of the statements that I make over again, and I know that I've made it in front of you, if not on this stage, definitely in a group, I have the spiritual gift of discouragement. All of us are to be encouragers. Every single one of us in the room need encouragement. Life is hard. Paul records these words to those at Thessalonica, and he says, hey, concerning brotherly love, let me encourage you, we don't need to tell you another sentence about it, because you got it. When When we told you the first time, you got it, and you are acting that out, but let me encourage you in this, do it more. Those around you need to hear it more. Those around you need to see you doing it more. Do it more. Love your brothers more. Look back in chapter 2 for a moment. In chapter 2, Paul is still kind of introducing what he is about. And in chapter 2... He records these words in verse number 7 and also verse number 8. But we, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives. is what the Greek states. Because you had become very dear to us. Paul stated it this way. He said, hey, I had a job. My task, my calling from God was to get the gospel out. And I set out From the moment that He saved me, from the moment that He called me to do this, I set out to do just that. But when I came to Thessalonica, you and I connected. And in that connection, I not only wanted to do my job, but I wanted to share my whole life with you. That's how close you were and are to me. You know, in years past, I have used that verse, verse number 8. That we were so desirous of you, so desirous of you, River Ben, that we wouldn't just get the gospel out to you, but that we would share life together. And the way that we share life, that we try our best sometimes, and the way that we try all the time, to do just that is through connect. You can come in this room and you can sit and you can stand and sing. You can hear the word and you can be encouraged from that. You can go out and, and in that going out on a weekly basis, there is a disconnect. Why? Because of what is supposed to happen in the body. There in verse number 8. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother, verse 7, taking care of her own child, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share not only the gospel, but our own lives because you were so dear to us. And without that connection, you and I missed something. Does that mean your life's going to be terrible? No. No. Not necessarily. It just means that you and I, if we don't have that connection, that you and I are not doing everything that God wants for us. Therefore, it's not the best. And He has the very best for you. So I'm going to close out this morning just a little different. For all the Connect leaders who are here this morning, and I know there are a couple that are not here that I see, that I... Don't see, but if you are leading a connect group this morning, I want you to come forward. These guys up here want to get the gospel to you, but they also want to share life. Numerous times I've stood here and said, Hey, sir, ma'am, I understand that life is busy. I understand you get going, you've got responsibilities. I, I get that. If you're only going to give River Bend Church one spot. One spot in your calendar in the week. Make it connect. Make it connect. Don't, don't, don't come here. Make it connect. Two reasons for that. Number one, it's ulterior. I know if you get connected there, you will come here. More than likely. I state that openly. Openly but also you will be ministered to and you will have the opportunity to minister to others there more than here. So get connected there so that you might share your whole life and you might have the focus that God has for you, which is your sanctification, the goal to please Him with everything that you and I do. So go home. Today, talk to your spouse. Look at the calendar and say, okay, Lord, I want to do that. I want to join. I want to be a part. And I'll give it a try. And just see what he does. For he has stated to you, here is my desire for you, sir. Family. Ma'am child your sanctification so that you would grow closer and closer and closer to him today the rest of your life heavenly father i come to you and i pray i pray that this would not just be a 30 minute exercise through your word and god i know that when your word goes forth I stand on that promise that it will not come back void. You send it forth and you work. Work in the hearts of those that don't believe in you. Work in the hearts of us who do. For you are a great God. Father, we ask that you would grow us get us healthy. God, may our focus be turned to you and grow us inside so that we might do what you have called us to do to restore community in this town. For you are worthy of that. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. Church, where you have come to that time in the service, a time of response. Maybe maybe the response is right where you are. Just kind of mulling over this whole passage. Do that. Maybe you need to come forward. The altar is always open. You need to talk with me. I'm here. But obey whatever he's asking you to do. Obey. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Alex and the team is going to lead us, and you join us and respond. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live simp.